Okay, everybody, in your worship folder, you should see there John 13. Uh, I'm going to read John 13, 1 to 8, uh, and then make some comments about it. Those comments are <clears throat> go along with an outline. I know on the following page, the outline looks awfully like a Sunday outline. I assure you I'm not going to stand up here for as long as we typically do on a Sunday, so don't let that weird you out. That's just a chance to give you some uh, guardrails on which I'm going to travel and to impress you with my alliteration skills. You see all the S's? Yep, see Drew's impressed. I have won I've, I've done it for the day. I have, I have uh, arrived. This is good. Uh, seriously though, let's read uh, John 13. Follow along here. 1 through 8. Uh, this, this is the uh, record of where the practice that we call communion came from. It's the very beginning. The very first communion. Uh, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Uh, this is God's word. We don't have the Isaiah passage up here, um, but I'm tempted to say it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm starting to get ingrained in me, hopefully in you too. Um, if, you if you flip over, you'll see there, uh, I'm going to look at the, the, the specifics of Jesus' love, the silence of his love, and the shock of his love. And, and I, we intentionally put this Rembrandt sketch up on the screen. You can stare at it the whole time I'm talking. I will not be offended. In fact, I would appreciate if you did do that, because then you can sort of get into your imagination this scene. Um, it's from a, a series of sketches that Rembrandt did called The Life of Christ. You can buy it uh, online in various forms. Uh, I highly recommend it, actually. Uh, it's very, very powerful. These are pencil sketches that he did. Um, but this depicts that scene in John 13. And why is John so specific? Well, think about it this way. And you, you have to kind of, you have to look at the passage really to, to, to get a sense of this. If this were a movie, what speed do you think the camera would be on? Do you think it would be sort of flying along? You know how they put cameras on those tracks as in an action scene and it's just going super fast? Do you think it would be a slow-mo? Do you think it would be sort of right up next to maybe the characters' faces or near their bodies? It's almost in slow motion. It's almost frame by frame. And what's fascinating and amazing about this is that John wrote this gospel, we believe, approximately 50 years after the events of Jesus' life. And he was there when this happened. He was not being reported. Luke was, Luke was getting reports in his gospel. But John was actually there in the room as this is happening. And 50 years later, he is laying this out step by step by step. 
Uh, in fact, there's seven different steps, uh, and not trying to make a, a huge deal out of it, but that was a significant number for John and for the Jews, right? A number of completion. Uh, it is the picture of perfection. It is the picture of love perfected, love personified, love being carried out in a way that is so profound uh, and so amazing. We're watching perfect love frame by frame, and it was so powerful, it was etched in John's memory at 50 years later. Uh, those of you that have 50 years to draw on, I do not. But those of you that do, what things, as you look back and you think 50 years ago, I can recount this specific event or time in my life frame by frame? We all have them, right? Even if you didn't have 50 years to draw on, you have 10, 20, 30. There are those things that are etched in our memory banks. This was one for John. Why? And I would say to you, because he had never seen anyone love like this. He recalled this in such vivid detail because he was absolutely riveted as he watched Jesus love. He was enamored by Jesus. So the question is, are we? Are you enamored by the love of Jesus so much so that when you see the specifics of his love, you remember or you come to believe or think out the implications of your love? Because in the same way, our love is to be specific. To not rush into loving another person, but to consider their needs, their particular context, their life, what's going on with them, what's it feel to be like them, what's it live to live in their shoes. The word incarnation, a familiar word to many of us, right, is to literally get inside the flesh of another person. And in order to do that, your love and the way that you approach them is going to be very specific. Jesus was very specific here. This is exactly what the disciples needed. Why? Because they were daydreaming about power. And they were daydreaming about who was the greatest. We know that because, well, they're talking about it, right? And he, he confronts them about it a few times. Or John's mama was so bold as to say, uh, hey, um, can you give my sons a, a special place? Okay? A Jewish mother personified, doing the work for her sons, right? Um, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus wants to specifically love them away from that to service. The call to worship from Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is unbelievable. Secondly, though, <clears throat> you see him loving specifically, but you also see him loving silently. How much explanation does he give as he prepares to wash the disciples' feet? Look in the passage. What does he say? as he gets up and explains to them what he's about to do? It's kind of a trick question, right? He doesn't say anything. Why do you think he doesn't say anything? Why do you think he's silent? John says, during supper, after uh, his betrayer had, uh, after the devil had entered into his heart to betray him, uh, he rose and then John says he laid aside his outer garments, he took a towel, he tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash each of their feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And, of course, he gets to Simon. And they've all been, you know, just accepting it. Simon has to say something, right? Classic Simon Peter. But the point is, Jesus is silent the entire time. 
And they initially would have been confused as to what he was doing. They were caught off guard. And that's the point. That's so Jesus. What's amazing about Jesus is how often he leaves space for others in his relationships. He doesn't fill the space with words, which is what leaders often do. It's what all of us often do, right? We find the space uncomfortable, so we want to fill it with words. He doesn't do that. He allows the actions that he is engaged in to mesmerize these guys because he is so content not to overwhelm them with words and noise. His love is so silent. It's so specific. It's so particular. It's so powerful. When we get empowered by Jesus' love, we too can be silent when we love. We don't have to let anyone know what we're doing, and that's the hardest kind of love to engage in, isn't it? I mean, you really want, husbands, you really want when your wife comes home and she smells cleaner in the air, she can tell like something's, uh, did you clean? I mean, you, yes, I cleaned. Worked really hard. I'm glad you noticed. It's so hard not to do that, isn't it? But silent love is humble love. And the place we learn humility is the low place. Sometimes it might be a physically low place, like scrubbing a toilet. Sometimes it might be a figuratively low place, like not getting credit for a project at work, like not getting the credit, not getting the adulation, not getting the praise that you were expecting. It's there you learn humility. You'll never learn humility in the high place. Think about when schools and office buildings are cleaned by custodial service companies. Do you know when that is? Have you ever thought about that? Say again. When nobody's there. At night. Late in the, late in the, uh, the evening. No one sees that type of work because that work is not valued. And Jesus, as he's silently washing their feet, is blowing them away with his love. Which leads me to the third thing, the shock of his love. He gets to Peter. Look at the scene here, or look at the sketch that's Peter in the chair, okay? And what's his body language? I mean, Rembrandt really caught this. It's okay, you can talk. He's uncomfortable. On edge. Right? What did you say? On edge. He's on edge, Molly said. His body is tense, right? He's almost recoiling in his chair, and yet look at his head. I mean, say he's kind of leaning forward. He's very interested in what this one that he's been following around for several years now is doing. And you know why Peter was so shocked? Because only the lowest slaves around did that kind of work. Not even, not even like middle, middle management slaves. They didn't engage in foot washing. It was the lowest of the low that would engage in foot washing. We know that uh, from other ancient texts or excuse me, we know the fact that only the lowest did that from other ancient texts, but you realize in ancient literature, this is the only description we have in ancient literature of someone doing this work. It's the only description. Movie-like in its frame by frame. It's the only one, and who's doing it? Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. This is so terribly difficult, right? This is the model for love and by faith in Jesus, uh, as we reflected on a few minutes ago, uh, 
by faith in Jesus, he sends his spirit to live inside of us, to empower us to live the same way, right? To, to mirror this kind of love, but it's so difficult because if you think about washing the feet, especially the feet of those who have betrayed or offended you, it takes incredible humility because maybe God's not calling you to forgive them with a towel and a basin, but maybe he's calling you to forgive them, or excuse me, love them with forgiveness and forbearance. And in the moment, or in the process, right, it all seems so pointless, so incomplete. I mean, the disciples' feet would be dirty again just a few hours later. Why do it? But what if the point is simply the act of love? Uh, Paul Miller, who wrote the Person of Jesus study that we uh, utilize around here quite a bit, and many of you have uh, participated in, he says this, we can complete love, not necessarily by solving the problem, but by revealing the beauty of Jesus in our love. And so as we enter into his life by faith, believing him, we become his life as we finish love, wherever he's calling us to do that. But rest assured, it is not easy. This was the one that flung the galaxies and the stars into place. He named them. He had all of them cataloged. He could tell you the genus and species of every single plant in the jungles of the Amazon. And he's on his knees cleaning dung, because, of course, they didn't wear shoes, off the feet of guys who were one in just a few hours was going to sell him out, but the rest of them were going to run. It's absolutely stunning. Absolutely incredible. And as we come to this table, we see Jesus' love making this table possible. It led him here. And so the work of enduring in love requires a nourishment. That's what we get from this table. So we get to come taste how good Jesus is. We get to come trusting his love as we taste of his salvation. But it was said, I forget who said it, but they said our salvation lies not in the love we exercise, but in the love we trust. And so I'd invite you as we come to this table uh, to trust in the love uh, that you see displayed here. Uh, Drew likes to say often we're practicing for heaven, especially in moments where we're gathering together to feast, celebrate what God has done. We're, we're practicing for what we will do in all eternity as we uh, sing together, as we eat together around these tables. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, being together tonight. Uh, let me dismiss us with a, a blessing. Uh, if, if those of you that have some time to stick around, we've got some tables to move and some other things. Uh, and so just kind of present yourself to be helpful and we'll find something for you to do. Okay, that'd be a, a huge help to us. Okay. So receive the Lord's blessing as you go, or benediction, rather. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.